Welcome to the Sensory Change Podcast, where we learn to think differently as a community supporting sensory kids at all levels. We share all sensory matters through discussions and interviews with experts in the field to get practical ideas and simple strategies to implement in day-to-day life. Here is your host and author of Against the Odds, Dana Latin. Today we're speaking with Sarah Jones. Sarah is a senior therapist at Bird. Bird is a charity that changed our lives and made us believe that changes are possible. Hello, Sarah. Hi, Donna. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. Sarah, could you tell us who is Bird for? Of, of course, yeah. So, like you say, Bird is a treatment centre. Um, we provide a therapy to both children and adults. Um, we work with children from two years of age upwards, and there is no upper age limit to the therapy. So we work with lots of adults also. Um, we work with children and adults who have um, both learning difficulties and acquired brain injuries. Um, so a child might have a, a, a diagnosed learning difficulty, such as um, autistic spectrum condition, dyspraxia, dyslexia, sensory processing disorder um, or they may not have a, a diagnosed difficulty um, in fact we actually work with around 30% of children who have no formal diagnosis at all um, but who are struggling they're perhaps falling behind their peers they're failing to meet their milestones um, and on the brain injury side of the work we work with children who perhaps got a congenital brain injury, um, things such as cerebral palsy or stroke, um, as well as working with children and adults who've acquired a brain injury, um, either in their early years or later on in life. Uh-huh. And how do you actually treat brain injury and de- delayed development under the same roof? Um, well, the reason in which we can do that is because um, for anyone person, anyone child or adult that is receiving therapy at birth, we're not aiming to treat their diagnosis. So we're not treating the symptoms of their difficulties. Um, instead, what we try to do is work at the level of the brain. So we're trying to identify any underlying neurological problems that may be contributing to their day-to-day difficulties. Um, and, and essentially what we are treating is what we refer to as neurological dysfunction. Um, and dysfunction occurs when the brain isn't working as efficiently as it should be. So when the brain isn't communicating effectively with the body um, and dysfunction can be present in any body, regardless of the diagnosis that the child or adult has. Um, and, and, you know, so it's present in children with learning difficulties, it's present with, in people with acquired brain injury. So that's why we can see such a vast array of different conditions and disorders here at BIRD. Uh-huh. And what would be the signs to look for when it comes to primitive reflexes at an early age of development? Um, 
So, yeah, in terms of primitive reflexes, that's one of the many ways in which we can test to find out if a person has neurological dysfunction. Um, so we, we would test a person's primitive reflexes here at BIRD. Um, but in terms of signs and symptoms in, an, in a child, um, you know, there's there's lots of different possible signs and, and no sort of not one of these things individually would be a, a you know a definite indicator but perhaps collectively a cluster of these things might indicate that primitive reflexes are um, playing a role in the problems so often the children we support there may have been problems during pregnancy um, quite commonly there's um, birth complications um, often the child is born early or maybe um, late um, very often the baby will be um, they'll have a low birth weight and possibly have some feeding difficulties they may be quite a demanding baby a baby that's difficult to settle parents will often describe the baby as being quite colicky or refluxy um, and in terms of their early development these children typically um, fail to meet those normal milestones so they don't perhaps roll or sit up or they don't necessarily commando crawl or crawl um, at the ages that you'd expect a child to they'll either do them late for age or as many children we support do they'll miss out those developmental stages completely parents will often describe a child going straight from sitting straight up into sort of standing and walking um, and that can be an indicator that neurologically development hasn't occurred in the typical way um, also these children are often um, perhaps later to walk usually later to talk um, and, and may have some difficulties in engaging and interacting with their environment and with their peers and significant um, adults around them. Mm -hmm. And what are exactly the primitive reflexes? Um, so primitive reflexes, um, so all a reflex is, is something that happens automatically when we're touched or we're stimulated in a particular way. Um, so it's an involuntary, it's a, a, a subconscious um, physical response, if you like, to um, sensation, to, to touch. Um, and primitive reflexes develop in utero. So whilst the baby is developing in the womb, primitive reflexes are emerging and developing and they are fully present at birth. Um, it's believed that there are around 70 plus primitive reflexes which are fully developed um, at, at birth and their job, their role is to assist in the natural delivery, so to assist in the birthing process and to support the baby's survival within the first few weeks and months of life. Um, so an example of one for example, is the, the rooting reflexes, the sucking reflex. So if a newborn baby is touched or stimulated on the upper lip or on the side of their cheek, instinctively and automatically, that baby will begin sort of pursing their lips, their tongue is coming forward in their mouth, they're beginning to turn their head to the side in search of food to support the baby latching on and, and assisting in developing that um, feeding. Um, so like I say, that's an example of one primitive reflex um, of which we've got many to support the normal developmental processes of a typically developing baby. 
Um, and once primitive reflexes have served their purpose, once they've done their job, um, for example, with the rooting reflex, once feeding has been established and, and baby can suckle and feed independently, that rooting reflex becomes redundant. And through the course of normal development, that primitive reflex will be inhibited. So it's... Um, dampened down and withdrawn from the central nervous system so that it's no longer active. So sensation around the mouth and the cheek will um, no longer produce that automatic response. Um, and in the same way, those other 70 plus primitive reflexes, once they've done the job of assisting the baby through the birthing process and assisting things such as um, breathing, crying, reaching, swallowing, sitting, rolling, crawling. Once those primitive reflexes have done their job, likewise, they become redundant. And in typically developing children, those primitive reflexes are inhibited. They're withdrawn from the central nervous system so that they are no longer they're no longer being activated um, and in typically developing children those primitive reflexes disappear within that first year of life um, so by the time the child has reached 12 months of age if you assess the child's primitive reflexes you would hope that they had all been inhibited. You, you wouldn't expect to find any of them still present and active in the central nervous system. And if they had disappeared, as they ought to have, that would indicate that the brain had developed typically, that pathways and connections within the brain had formed in the normal way to support normal neurological development. Uh -huh. And which um, primitive reflexes do you test and treat in the centre? Um, so we test quite a number, actually, um, but in the um, initial stage of treatment, um, so to find out if a child is suitable for treatment, we would test for four primitive reflexes. Um, and the four that we test within that initial screening of a child are the Babinski reflex, um, the asymmetrical tonic neck reflex, the symmetrical tonic neck reflex and the spinal gallant reflex. Um, and the reason that we test for those four initially for all children and adults we support is because they are the four that children will most commonly retain. So they're the four that most frequently fail to be inhibited in early development. Um, and they're the four that are often re-released in the cases of an acquired brain injury and whilst they're still present in children beyond the age of 12 months of age those reflexes are thought to be the most detrimental to um, hindering a child's development because if these reflexes remain present in a child's central nervous system after the age of 12 months they will act as a barrier to development and these four are, are believed to most sort of detrimentally affect things such as um, language development, um, learning, academic development, physical development. So they're the four tested for initial, but if the child proves suitable for treatment and they move on to have a full neurological assessment, there there would be more that we would test for. Uh -huh. And um, could you speak a bit about how they actually um, affect a child in, in, in the learning itself? I mean... Yes, of course. So um, 
So primitive reflexes when they're present in the first year of life are essential, they're crucial and their role is necessary and vital for supporting normal neurological development. But once they've done their job, they, they, they should disappear. After the age of 12 months, their continued presence is no longer functional. It, their presence is only detrimental to development. So if a primitive reflex remains active in the central nervous system after the age of 12 months, it will act as a barrier to more normal neurological development. It will prevent pathways and connections within the brain from forming. It will prevent more sophisticated learning from taking place. So putting it simply, the neurological development that takes place in the first year of life is believed to be um, sort of the foundations which would support all subsequent learning. So, you know, when a child reaches the age where they're ready to start school and you know they're beginning to learn their letters and their numbers we're assuming that that child has the correct neurological equipment in place we're assuming that their primitive reflexes have gone that the connections that um, are vital and, and necessary for um, higher levels of learning we're assuming that they are there but if a child still has a, a whole cluster of primitive reflexes still present they will be acting as a barrier. They will be preventing the child from gaining that foundation that is vital for normal learning. So every aspect of learning becomes more challenging. It, it means that learning often isn't a natural process. Learning becomes very laboured and very stilted. Children often have to put in a lot more effort and energy to meet those normal learning milestones. Um, so if a child has primitive reflexes, it doesn't mean that they can't learn to read and write. It doesn't mean that they can't learn to dress or learn to ride a bike or learn to tell the time. It, it simply means that usually they need a lot more support, a lot more intervention in order to acquire those skills. And those skills often always remain very laboured and very deliberate rather than them becoming automatic um, skills. Um, and that for the child can be very frustrating, very demotivating. Um, so children typically become more um, disengaged with activities. They start losing interest. They lack motivation to learn and become quite frustrated and cross when they can't learn in the typical way and when things are not clicking for them as they perhaps are for their peers which is then when you see children becoming emotionally quite highly strung quite frustrated and having more frequent meltdowns um, than perhaps their peers are. Uh -huh. And what would you describe as the difficulties working with children who come to the centre? Um, so, uh, in terms of the, the difficulties they may present, do you mean, or the difficulties we face when working with them? Um, Both. <laughs> Both. <laughs> Both. So, um, the children that come to, to BIRD, um, or typically they have areas, um, difficulties within um, their academic development. So often they may be struggling to keep up with their peers. They may be presenting reading and writing, copying difficulties, comprehension difficulties, often problems with 
with processing and with memory. Um, parents will often say that learning just doesn't come naturally. So, um, you know, you may work with a child and, and, and sit and spend a long time putting in a lot of effort and you think, gosh, they're getting it. Yes, we're finally making progress. And then the next day you think, God, they've forgotten it. It's gone. You know, we're back to square one again. So th- that learning isn't clicking and it's not it's not becoming concrete for them. Um, we work with children who have attention and concentration problems, often very distractible, very fidgety flitting from one thing to the next, difficulty in sitting still for any length of time. Um, We work with children whose language and understanding can be delayed. They may have difficulty um, forming friendships and interacting with their peers in a difficult way. Often emotionally, they can be quite highly strung, so high anxiety, a lot of frustration, more um, frequent meltdowns. Um, Sometimes self-care can be impaired, so difficulty with dressing and washing and feeding, difficulty with organising themselves for daily routines. Often their sleep can be affected. So a lot of the children we support have difficulties in falling asleep and switching off. They're more prone to being restless sleepers and waking in the night. Um, Bedwetting can be a big issue for a lot of the children we support. Um, Energy levels can be affected and we work with children who have quite cyclic energy. So um, prone to bursts of hyperactivity with energy that, um, you know, they can't apply. I appropriately to activities so they they sort of seem a little hyperactive um, and and have difficulty in um, applying that energy properly but equally um, prone to lulls in their energy so can be lethargic at times because whilst barriers are present whilst primitive reflexes are present and um, dysfunction is there the child is having to work far harder than is necessary to do even the simplest of tasks on a day-to-day basis so um, they're putting twice as much effort and energy into into everyday activities which physically is causing them to tire far more quickly so their stamina for activities is often poorer um, which which causes them to appear to tire. So children appear to, um, you know, do short bursts of activity before they stop or, be, or appear disinterested or, you know, may, may walk or run for short periods before they stop for a rest. Um, so that's where you see that cyclic pattern of activity. Um, so they're the difficulties they may present. Um, the challenges we may face when working with children um, sometimes children, um, through a lack of understanding, may may not want to engage with the therapy. Um, through problems with attention and concentration, may not be able to sit and, and concentrate for the length of time that w- we require for doing the assessment or doing the exercises. Um, but we always find a way to work with children like that. You know, at Bird, we. Um, allow up to two hours for all of our sessions and we work very much at the pace of the child and the family we give them frequent breaks um, to refocus them to to um, you know refresh and we we try to work at uh, you know 
on their level um, through games, through um, play, to, to, to do it at a level that they're comfortable with. Um, you know, we, we frequently use toys and, and singing to make the, the activities fun and, 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 and light. We don't want them to perceive it as, as, as work and, and as a challenging activity for them. And from your experience, like families, how do they get their children motivated to do the activities? Um, I mean, families, I would say, are really creative. They, they use lots of different strategies to get the children on board. I would say that routine plays a huge part in getting the children to comply with the therapy. So um, the therapy involves um, the children performing neurological exercises every day for around 30 minutes. Um, and the families that have the most success in doing that are those that are consistent, the families that lay down those foundations with that routine. So they're consistent in doing the exercises at the same time, in the same place, in the same way every day. The same adults are helping them. You know, if you want to use music or nice lighting, um, special toys to assist in that therapy, then being consistent and, and doing the same thing every day, starting gradually, doing it for only a couple of minutes, building up to five and ten minutes and building up over a period of time towards 30 minutes, but being consistent and doing that every day and, and regularly praising and rewarding the child for the effort that they're contributing. Um, you know, lots of children um, do enjoy the use of music, uh, you know, if families choose to use um, an iPad or such something such as that, then whatever it takes to get the child on board to engage with the exercises. Um, the exercises, they're not difficult. Um, children usually, once they learn what's expected of them, they're very repetitive in nature. So once children learn the sequence of movements, usually actually they are compliant. Usually they enjoy their exercises. They see it as their special exercises and their special one-to-one -one time with mum and with dad. And, um, you know, they can partake in it. They can join in and assist with some of the movements. Um, I would say for most families, it's the first couple of weeks, the first, you know, couple of weeks and months that prove to be the most difficult. But like I say, if families are prepared to put in that level of effort and energy, then actually it, it can be quite an enjoyable program um, and of course once families start seeing the improvements you know once families start recognizing the benefits of doing the exercises then um, it, it doesn't become sort of a chore of life if you like it becomes something that they're motivated to do because they can see the benefit of doing it exactly and so working with children isn't easy so what motivates you to stay so dedicated Oh, I think for all of us here at Bird, the reason, you know, the reason we do it is because we genuinely believe in the therapy. Um, you know, we, we genuinely believe that the, that the therapy can help so many children and adults. Um, you know, the potential to help children achieve their true potential is, is enormous. Um, and we see that ourselves on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, so for us, 
helping families to overcome those barriers, helping families to unlock that true potential for the child is what motivates us. Um, you know, and we're fortunate that we do get to know the families that we support very well. Um, we do get to build a really nice relationship with the families we support. So we are very much um, a part of that journey. So we feel very much involved in the process that the child goes through. So it's hard not to become emotionally involved and hard not to um, take great pleasure in the progress that the children and families are making. Um, so, yeah, it, it can be challenging at times, but I would say that the benefits far outweigh any difficult times. Yeah, <laughs> you were part of our family journey for such a long time and you feel part of the bird family. Oh, yes. No, that's really nice to hear. And of course, all the children we support are very special to us. Um, you know, you put in such a lot of hard work and effort to, to do the therapy. And we're just incredibly proud of, of the hard work that all of our families, you know, put in and um, so proud of the progress that the, the, the children make. Yeah. And lots of people aren't aware of the role of the primitive reflexes. How can we spread the word? How could we let people know? Um, well, I, I suppose just, you know, communication, the more we talk about it, the, the more the more we um, make people aware, then hopefully the, the more people that can potentially benefit from this therapy. Um, I mean, we're doing our part as best we can by going out into our local community, chatting with um, professionals, with, with teachers, with social workers, with health visitors, trying to inform as best we're able to um, about the work we do, about the role of the primitive reflexes. Um, you know, we go into to schools to chat with parents. We, we try to attend parent support groups. So as best we can, we're trying to raise awareness um, as well as through social media, constantly spreading the work of the, the you know, our work and the success of the families we're supporting. But um, oh, I would say that probably the, the, the best thing is word of mouth from the families that, that we're helping. Um, you know, if, if a family that we've supported through BIRD can, can, can share you know their success story can can um talk to other families then i would say that's the best way of of ensuring other families find out about bird and, and are able to access the therapy so how can families contact bird Oh, families can make contact directly by themselves. So they can contact by phone. They can get in contact via the website. They can send an email. They can get in contact via BIRD's Facebook page. Um, your families don't need a referral to access the therapy. Um, families self-refer, if you like. So you would make contact initially, and we would chat in great detail about um, any of your worries and your concerns. We would chat in great detail about the therapy program and we would assess suitability for treatment from that point. So what is the website? Um, so the website is www.birdcharity.org.uk um, and the telephone number is 01244 678629. And if you wanted to find us on Facebook, um, just search for Bird Charity. Okay. 
Sarah, thank you so much for the time you took to chat with me. And I'm hopeful that more families will hear about birds. Oh, I hope so. No, not a, not a problem. It's been really nice. Thank you. Um, and, and fingers crossed. Lo- Thank you for listening to this Sensory Change podcast. If you liked what you heard, please leave a review and don't forget to subscribe. For more information on sensory input and ideas, visit danalatta.com. Join our community this month to get a free seven-day online course packed with practical sensory activities and strategies.